Stuart Lennon. TJ Cosgrove. Look at that. I've got little blue bouncy lines. Everything is good. I'm recording. I'm live. I'm here. I am also here. Uh, I have blue bouncy lines. We're all children of the blue bouncy lines. Absolutely. Shall we jump right into what we're writing with and watching and listening and reading and all those other good regular stuff? Oh, we can do it. I'm looking forward to it because you've uh, you've taken yours out of the show notes. So it's going to be a surprise when it when it comes. Um, I, I am. Oh, I have. I have because I have, need to rewrite it now. You've uh, just reminded me because uh, I changed last minute. Uh, you talk while I write. Uh, <laughs> there, there we go. There's the subtitle for the podcast. Um, right. I am <laughs> writing now with uh, still the same pencil as last show, which was a, a clear settle freebie. Um, lovely little pencil. It's just past Steinbeck now, so probably not long for this world. Um, and I've I've got pre-sharpened my next one, which is going to be a Blackwing Pearl, um, which I'm sure oh, everybody knows nice. what one of those is. Um, yeah. I'm still writing in a field note pitch black. Um, but again, we're getting quite close to the end. This is this certainly won't make it to the end of the month. Uh, well, it's got like four or five pages in it, which is not a lot for me. Uh, and mm-hmm. oh, there you go. And the usual sort of um, the usual jazz with my bullet journal and all of that. And then I've just uh, seen you've written into the show note. That's fantastic. I've no idea what it says, but uh, there we are. <laughs> so I am writing, and this will become apparent why, uh, with, a, with a Russian pencil. And I was sent these by a very kind viewer uh, about a year or two ago. And they're beautiful Tomsk pencils. Uh, so I'm not very good at reading Cyrillic. Uh, it's quite a complicated... Uh, I'm sure you've had it with the Greek. There's a couple of letters in there that we don't got in the, the 26 we normally look at. Yeah, so I did Russian for a year at school. So, um, oh, yeah. even better. Yeah, so you know. So this is a Tomsk. It's T-O-M-C-K, but it's the, the S sign. Mm-hmm. And this is the Tomsk Constructor, which is the, uh, it's a Siberian pencil. Uh, the pine is from Siberia. The graphite is from Siberia. The pencil is manufactured and sold in Siberia. Well, I mean, in fairness, Siberia does cover about five time zones. It's enormous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I say it's a place, but it's it's quite a bit bigger than what we'd imagine a place would be. And so that's one of the cool things about Russian pencils. You don't really see them that often. I mean, I had to be sent these specifically by a Russian person. Um, so you don't tend to get them in Europe or, or America unless someone's brought them there or left mm. them there. Uh, but these are kind of intended for the domestic market within Russia. And so, you know, I think it's largely similar to their Stadler or, you know, Generals or something like that. It's a sort of normal domestic brand, but it does well. And it kind of touches on the heritage of, of Russian engineering, uh, something which I've got a little bit of a note on later. Yeah, indeed. Well, that sounds very cool. I quite like the sound of a, a Tomsk mm. Constructor. Constructor. Um, and it's a TM grade because the Russians don't use HB. Oh, naturally. Uh, I cannot, for the life of me, pronounce what T or M R, but uh, T is H and M is B. So TM is HB, effectively. Well, there you go. Yeah, well, Siberian pencils. There, there is no limit to our pencil knowledge here. No, uh, what are we watching? I'll say what I'm watching. Obviously, the, the novelty of having a TV hasn't worn off yet. Um, <laughs> Regrettably, uh, Mrs. Lennon has worked out how to use the remote control. So um, we we watched a thing called Little Italy, 
um, mm -hmm. which is based. Um, uh, it's a a little Italy in a Canadian city. I think it may have been Toronto. Um, that I, sounds about right. I've been there. Oh right. Well, there you go. Um, well, this is. Um, uh, how can I say this? A twee film, uh, <laughs> rom com. Uh, two Italian families they run a pizzeria together. Uh, the two patriarchs fall out. Uh, so the family that has the sauce and the family that has the dough uh, open up next door to each other in competition. Uh, oh, no. The the offspring. Um, one of them goes off to become a Michelin-starred chef in London, and the uh, and the young man just hangs around in Little Italy, being just just adorable. He's he's so cute. There are dimples in his cheeks. He's devastatingly handsome, uh, and they've always been in love. And they're there, they're there. If you haven't been sick in a bucket yet, watch this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm. There you go. In fairness, it was completely harmless. Very sweet. Uh, just made me want to be sick. Um, and then <laughs> Christopher Robin, which is uh, Ewan McGregor, um, moving oh, on, okay. moving on from Star Wars and becoming uh, Christopher Robin. He of the uh, Winnie the Pooh books. Yes, Christ Christopher Robin was the child. Uh, this is a fairly sort of standard trope. The child's grown up. Um, forgotten all about his, his toys. Uh, then the toys come back and save him from himself. Uh, the, the bucket was getting a lot of use in the Lennon household. Um, but as an antidote, I'm, I'm still watching Vikings, and they are still uh, chopping each other to bits in new and exciting ways. Uh, I'm I'm in series season four, I think now coming to the end of season four. Uh, so. Not long to go. Uh, and rugby, which for our uh, American uh, listeners is is like uh, American football without all the adverts and without all the padding. Um, it, it's, but it's good. Yes, it's played by sort of fit men and indeed by fit women uh, rather than sort of enormous men that have to be wheeled out wearing armour. Um, <laughs> a sport rather than a spectacle. There we go. Mm, uh, interesting. That, that, that's a good byline. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, it's the Six Nations, which is uh, arguably the best rugby tournament there is. Uh, England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, France, and Italy. Everybody plays everybody else. Um, and at the end, uh, somebody emerges victorious. And at the moment, I think the money is on Wales. Uh, they mm. had a really good victory over England, which cheered up Celts everywhere. Um, yeah, there's a real attitude of as long as it is in England, everyone's happy. I, absolutely, yep. Um, every Scot uh, looks at the rugby results for the weekend. The first one we look for is England to see if they've lost. Uh, if they have, that's great. Uh, then we look for Scotland, and if we've won, that's fantastic. If Scotland have beaten <laughs> England, well, we're too drunk to care. Uh, <laughs> it, it's It's a very odd thing. Uh, I suppose it's a bit like I, I don't know about you, but I look at things like the Super Bowl and I'm mystified as to to why all the excitement. And I'm sure that Americans looking at the Six Nations would be going, "What what, what is all this tribal stuff going on?" But there you go. Yeah, one of the few times that everyone on this little island of Ireland is like, "Yeah, we're Irish. Yeah, it's fine." I mean, there's a lot of contention around that idea most of the time, 
Uh, but with the rugby, it's one of those few times where everyone's like, yeah, green, it's great. Yeah, it's all good. Yep, absolutely. It's, uh, as, as you say, it's one of the, the few unifying uh, codes for, for that part of the world. It's great to see because mm-hmm. there are some um, awesome players from Ulster. There's a winger yep. at the moment who, uh, where he's set to be the greatest ever try scorer in, in Irish rugby uh, in about 20 minutes. He just has to touch <laughs> a ball and he scores. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> And what about you? Are you watching anything? Yeah, we just started a new Netflix series. Uh, Meg and I watching one uh, together, which is not unheard of, but definitively slower than me watching anything on my own. Uh, it's the Umbrella Academy, which is a sort of gritty fantasy slash sci-fi kind of show written by the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, a band oh, okay. you're probably no, no, I familiar know with, but not, yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, it's like superheroes. It's quite dark. It's quite an interesting take on it. You can definitely tell it's the same kind of. Um, if you know what My Chemical Romance sounds like, this looks exactly like what a film or a series made by him would be like. Uh-huh. Uh, it looks like one of their music videos, and it's very, very good. Um, delightfully dark and a little bit twisted, but really, really good characterization. And uh, we're about three episodes in, and we're really enjoying it so far. Yeah, cool. Because Netflix keeps pushing that at me. Um, I, I don't know why, but um, it thinks I want to watch that. So uh, I think it's that. just recent, recently released, so ah, okay, everybody gets it. All ah, right, but yeah, worth a look if you're into that kind of thing. Mm, I shall, I shall have a look. Um, podcasts, um, listening. I've been listening to uh, my usual diet, but I listened to the one that you recommended, the two guys eating snacks. Uh-huh. Uh, that was yes. pretty funny. Um, okay, good. Yeah, for reasons that I'm not a hundred percent certain of i was using um overcast on my laptop and so it's Uh a web client and the web client is not as groovy as the ios client so uh i could only get back the sort of last 50 episodes so i listened to i think episode 51 okay uh which was yeah uh, peruvian something or others uh but no very funny i enjoyed it It it's really good (laughs) yeah if you know the two actors michael ian black and tom cavanaugh they're in a bunch of movies you've probably seen them before and things you'd know their face certainly because i did mm-hmm. um so their voices and their their faces are familiar and it's just a very different very wacky kind of show so i, I enjoy it i haven't listened to a bunch recently but i did really enjoy it and again the first podcast i ever listened to so yeah, set no, the bar it, was, high. it was a good listen i'm i'm making a conscious effort to sort of spread my wings podcast wise and and uh, explore a little bit more <laughs> and the jobs biography going by the show notes oh yes I, I do listen to that from time to time i haven't listened to it much this week because i've been mostly upstairs on dog duty um mm-hmm. and I, I listen on my laptop and yeah i mean it's just a very very long book um going into you know the ins and outs of what steve jobs had for breakfast but you know in fairness he he achieved a fair amount <laughs> it's not be unkind there's quite a lot to talk about so um yeah it, it's just i i suppose i'm getting a bit tired of it what about you Are you listening to anything yeah i'm still listening to my audiobook of choice seven eves by neil stevenson which is oh, just so so good uh, as of this more sorry this evening i am 15 or 16 hours into it of about 30 32 so okay pretty much pretty much halfway now and uh, it's really good. It's kind of fueling the whole uh, spacey kind of vibe I'm on at the minute. And I really 
gives me a lot to read and think about uh, in my day job as well as in other projects I'm working on. So it's really, really good. I'm really enjoying it. Excellent. And reading? Uh, not an awful lot. Bits and pieces. Lots of um, scientific reading. So a lot about orbital mechanics. Um, orbital mechanics for dummies. Not a real book. Might be a real book, actually, but uh, certainly I'm just reading Wikipedia and then delving into scientific articles from there. Okay. Um, just trying to get a handle on what's happening and how it's happening, both in the book and in some other projects I'm working on with um, some spacey stuff for work, which is really, really cool, but uh, quite early stage. Oh, well, but it sounds quite intriguing. I dare say we may come back to that. Mm, if it develops, I will let you know. Uh, me, I am doing uh, the, the the book club one. Are we talking about this soon? I can't remember what we scheduled. Oh. Uh, I think we said March. So, yeah, it's not far yeah. off. Yeah, won't be far. I haven't read since my first initial boost, so I need to get back into it. But I will finish it quite quickly once I get back into it. Yeah, Company of One, um, who uh, the author's name currently escapes me, which is a little unkind. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting concept. It's a it's a good book. I'm I'm enjoying it. Uh, I tend to alternate it, so I'll read a chapter of that, and then I am very very into uh, All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. Uh, which was mm-hmm. the Andy Welfley uh, recommendation. That's great. I'm really enjoying that. Um, I did buy it. I, I went back and looked at my uh, Amazon history. I bought it as soon as he told us about it. So it's in my Kindle waiting for me. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few uh, like that, actually. I just picked up one that was uh, Marcus in Slack uh, was was writing about it earlier today, this evening. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Bad Blood. Um, that looks, looks pretty cool. I remember when that story broke. I was uh, I was interested in it, so uh, rather than having to do any research, I can read somebody else's research on it. Fantastic! Because <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking. Someone else did the heavy lifting on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, Marcus has posted uh, a YouTube video, uh, which I sort of clicked open about 15 minutes ago, thinking, "Oh, well, I'll just watch that before the podcast and sound knowledgeable." Uh, it's an hour and ten minutes. So you've um, seen 10 minutes. I, so I've seen nine minutes and 19 seconds, uh, at which point I thought, mm, <laughs> yeah, it might actually be quicker just to read the book. Mm. Uh, drinking. Uh, well, I'm drinking the the world famous, sorry, soon to be world famous Lenonello, which is a, a take on Limoncello, uh, made by my, my fair wife, Sands. Uh, it's mm, a, sounds it's, good. Yeah, it's essentially um, pure alcohol, Lemons and sugar. It's not the most complicated of, um, <laughs> of recipes. Don't diminish it. No, I'm not. So it's fantastic. There's a there's a freezer full of it behind me. Uh, it it basically makes a very uh, sweet lemon liqueur that you freeze. Uh, it's an Italian thing, obviously. Um, that you freeze and uh, have as a digestive, and particularly when the weather's um, hot, hot, hot. Uh, having a sort of little frozen syrupy drink is a it's a nice way to to round out an evening um although i would say from bitter experience not something you'd want to settle into in drinking terms um let's all have a bottle of limoncello it is not a wise thing to do Um, you might die well you'll certainly feel as though you are the next morning Uh, all of that sugar makes one heck of a hangover uh, so I had one of those after supper, and I'm now back in my uh, my Cypriot beer. I'm having a kill. 
scale. Cheers. What about you? Well, I just finished a Budweiser that my father so lovingly brought over when we were having dinner the other night. He arrived with four cans, drank one, and left me three. So Goodbye. there and I too. Uh, but at the weekend on Friday, I was at the event I'm going to talk about later, and I saw some space stuff, which was cool. But I also has a, had a cosmic mocktail. Uh, I volunteered Ooh. to drive so I could have a a less mock mocktail. Uh, she had a cocktail. Uh, so I had, I can't even remember, it was basically uh, lemon and orange with some ginger beer or something okay. like that with some glitter and some other jazz on top of it. It's very tasty. Um, largely sugar again. Sure. Uh, wasn't even alcohol to temper that with because it was just largely sugar with ice, but really nice. And I sipped that while walking around looking at vintage uh, Soviet space engineering. Well, as you do. I mean, what what else to do on a Friday night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was really good mm. okay well i'm sure well i know we're going to get to that because i can see it in the show notes um buying um well again this is i'm going through some sort of existential crisis metamorphosis Camera crisis <laughs> yeah it's it's something that's happened since i've started talking about it on on the podcast but um, my usual approach of oh maybe I want one of the oh I've bought it um, <laughs> has has completely gone out the window and I've become one of life's great um, analysts and procrastinators. Um, fortunately, my attention detail is still awful, so um, I bought an entirely different lens to the thought to the one I thought I was going to buy. Um, <laughs> but rather than go off and buy a new camera. Um, I, I did some research and looked at the specs and all of that sort of good jazz um, and realized I've actually got a uh, decent camera, which I, I knew, um, but that I could perhaps smarten it up a little bit and, uh, mm -hmm. and bring it closer to the camera that I think I want. Um, so put on a, a prime lens rather than a sort of kit zoom. Um, get a little Wi-Fi adapter, which will allow me to do all the funky Wi-Fi immediate posting, editing, mm -hmm. funky stuff. Um, and all of that costs, uh, give or take, £200 rather than you know, £1,200 on a new camera. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, a certain sort of common sense approach to that, which is, again, very unusual for me. Um <laughs> Uh, and I also bought one or two books about uh, my current camera, which is a, a Nikon D3300, 3300, 3300, one of those. Um, uh, and, you know, trying to get the best out of the camera and perhaps focusing on on my skill rather than buying a brand new camera and going, huh, why aren't I taking amazing photos? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, cool. I, like I say, that's that's... It's all very grown up. I feel very mature doing doing things like that. And do you think this is a, a permanent solution to the the sort of the want for the camera, or is this a temporary stepping stone, or is this a well, it'll do me a year or two, and then we'll maybe look again? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it it's accelerating at a at a rate that means in a year or two it'll be a completely different decision. I would have thought, um, mm. but also, you know, once I sort of dug down into the specs i think the weight difference between the the camera i was looking at the fuji x 
XT20, which has now been superseded by the XT30, or will be next month. Um, and the camera I currently have, I think it's about a 4.5% weight difference. So we're talking, you know, grams, ounces. Mm, not a lot. <laughs> not something that I'm likely to notice. Um, the form factor's a little bit smaller, largely because of the lens shape. Um, but I wasn't actually going to be winning that much. So, uh, yeah, let's be honest. 90% of that was that it, the one you were looking at looked really, really good. Yes, exactly. And, <laughs> um, it wouldn't fit in my pocket any more than the current one would fit in my pocket. So if it's yeah. not fitting in my pocket, then it's either in a bag or around my neck. Um, so the difference of a millimeter here and a gram there was, was pretty small. Fair enough. Well, hopefully you can uh, get some enjoyment out of that. Photography is one of those things that, uh, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the deeper you look, the, the bigger it gets. Mm. Um, really, really fascinating. Really, really rewarding if you can get it, you know, something that, that you like. And certainly I, from experience, taking a photo and you think, that's it, that's the perfect photo. I could not have captured that better. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a really, really nice feeling and something that you cherish almost more than the memory because it's it's the sort of rose-tinted memory version of that. You know, it's it's a moment in time. Yeah, I mean, the, the I'll share with you an anecdote. The Camino one when we went to walking, uh, that was uh, Stu, uh, myself, and uh, the belligerent Basque, uh, Laurent, who's uh, subsequently dropped out through... Um, lifestyle choices i think but um on the first camino he was recovering from from uh, quite a serious illness he had sepsis and um he was he'd been on the wagon for a while so he was quite fit and he brought with him uh, an slr uh and he's I, i think i've spoken about him before he's one of those people that um, on a rugby field he's an absolute beast he's uh bordering on a sociopath psychopath <laughs> Um, <laughs> and, and, well, in fact, when it comes to drinking, he's, he's certainly bordering on both of those things too. Um, but he, he's in, he's got an, an artistic bent, so he can play Spanish guitar, and um, uh, he has he has women melting at, in in his deep brown eyes. He, he, oh, he's annoying, TJ. He really is. Um, <laughs> One of those. But he he would pull out the camera uh, as we were walking. And before midday, you were very lucky to get any words out of the belligerent Basque. Um, and and <laughs> nearly all of them were single syllable, four letters. Um, uh, you know, he, he, learned his, he learned his English on a rugby pitch. So, so most of it was, was fairly blue. But he, he'd be walking along <laughs> and then suddenly you'd hear, yes. You're right. Yeah, You're right. You're right, Laurent. And he goes, I've got the perfect shot. Look. And he'd show it to you on the uh, you know, little viewfinder thing on the back there. And you'd look at it, you yeah, it's a photo of a hill. Oh uh, you English, you have no sense of art. And, <laughs> and that's it, he would he'd wander <laughs> off for a couple of hours again. And I've I have edited that comment um highly. So that you don't have to, because there would be quite a few PG, expletives yeah. thrown in there as well. <laughs> but yeah, it's exactly that thing you're talking about, that that moment of getting the shot that you wanted. Um, and, you know, once or twice I've taken photos and gone, oh yeah, that, that's pretty good. I think, well, I know I've got a lot to learn. But um, as you say, the more you learn, the more you realise the capabilities and 
you know nothing uh, at all yeah, yeah. And, and what is out there and what you can do so yeah i'm looking forward to it i'm enjoying it i'm enjoying playing with it cool what about you you've been shopping uh yeah i bought something distinctly less interesting uh walnut furniture stain yay uh, <laughs> we have pine uh bedside tables and so we wanted them to look less like pine and so i bought walnut stain and at the weekend i stained them in a good way not in a bad way uh, cool. so that's the riveting story of what i bought this week well i there's nothing wrong with that i mean if you'd been if you'd been my builder <laughs> you would have initially bought walnut furniture stain got halfway through yeah. the second bedside table and gone mm, i don't know maybe Mahogany. light oak <laughs> give it a blast what have i got <laughs> left in the truck that's exactly what happened <laughs> No, I actually did both with the same. Uh, it actually goes a long way. Uh, not very nice stuff to work with. Mostly oil. It was, I think it was Danish oil with walnut in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so really greasy, really... We'd use beeswax oil. Or sorry, beeswax on uh, some of the other chairs, which is slightly tinted. And it's really nice to work with because it smells good and it's easy to put on. It doesn't drip. Mm-hmm. This was a lot messier, so it was a tarp in the garden. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't stink in the way that it's, it's a horrible smell. It's just quite sharp or acrid on the nose and mm-hmm. so we had done it outside brought it in after three or four hours out because it was starting to rain left it in the kitchen for a couple more hours uh with this sort of ventilation on and then only maybe six or seven hours after it had been done put it in the bedroom again and even then last night i could smell it quite strong because it's obviously beside the bed so yeah it's it's mostly gone now which is good but yeah 2035 um, you'll still be going <laughs> i can smell that <laughs> I'm sure that's that bedside table. <laughs> if they do me to 2035, that'd be good going. They were 35 pounds each, so I'll be happy with that. Oh, well, I tell you what, that's going to feed into the topic later. Mm. So, what, yeah, go on, hit, hit us with the, the parish notice then. We've been, we've yeah. been building up to this all, all <laughs> show. <laughs> yes, there's been little hints. Uh, so to tie in with the, the Russian theme, uh, I went to the Folk and Transport Museum, well, the, the transport side of it, and saw a Soyuz capsule, which is the Russian re-entry module that uh, astronauts use to get back to Earth after they've been on the ISS or on uh, um, LEO orbits, uh, which was amazing. And so they, they had one. It was Tim Peake, who's a, a British uh, astronaut. It was his re-entry capsule. And it's been touring the UK. I know a lot of people that I, when I posted on Facebook, a lot of people had already seen it uh, in Scotland and in England and things like that. Uh, but it made its way over to Belfast. It's here for a couple more days. Or I think it's, by the time this comes out, it'll be gone. But uh, I went to see it on Friday. It's now Monday. And we went in. It was a whole evening. It was called Late Lab, which is essentially they open up the museum, the big main floor of the transport museum, which is full of trains and buses and trucks and stuff. And they had the, the Soyuz capsule in the middle. And loads of stuff all the way around and people doing physics experiments and uh, different bars. And it was really, really cool, like adults only, uh, fun science evening type thing. But I went for the space stuff. And yeah, it, it was incredible. I saw Soyuz capsule. I saw some of the um, the suits that they wear when they're inside. Uh, they're not for spacewalks. They're just sort of pressure suits to protect you if it depressurizes. But oh my goodness, so much cool stuff. And that's the the little re-entry module on top, uh, on top of the Soyuz spacecraft, which 
is how they get back. So it'll uh, dock with the ISS and then they'll get back into it. Three people and it looks, I mean, it's smaller than a car. It's its not actually that big. Mm. Uh, three people get into it and they basically just throw it back at the earth for all intents and purposes. And it kind of glides in and then uh, parachutes open up and you land on the steps in Kazakhstan. Well, I'm sure that's uh, that lovely part of the world. I'm, that's another place. That's Dusty. It's four or five time zones, Kazakhstan. Uh, yeah, yeah. So a lot of the, well, not a lot, all of the crew launches. So anytime there's manned spacecraft leaving Earth, it's from Baikonur, which is in Kazakhstan. Oh, right. Okay. So there are some sort of uh, Virgin Galactics and Blue Origin and all the others trying to plan space tourism, and they'll be leaving from all over the show. Uh, but at the minute, if you go to the ISS, you go from Baikonur, and Baikonur is in Kazakhstan. And yeah. it's all on Russian hardware, so you go on the Soyuz, uh, because the Russians are the only ones who have the capability right now, because America mothballed everything, which is great. But in good news, it's, I think it's June this year, the SpaceX Dragon capsule will be doing its first manned flight up to the ISS, and that's leaving from Cape Canaveral in Florida. So fingers crossed, launches will come back to the states, and we'll get more people in space because that's we should have more people in space. I'm gonna be I'm gonna go out there and say it. I'm gonna go out on a limb. We should be in space more. Well, there you go. The the, the election campaign begins here. <laughs> I, I don't care about the the politics of it. I I just want to go to space and I want lots of people to go to space. We should be on Mars. It's it's sad. We were able to, you know, dock spaceships together in the seventies and land on the moon in the sixties, and then we kind of went, "Yeah, that was amazing. Let's not do anything for four decades." <laughs> Which seems, I don't know, if we'd kept at it, if we just persevered, we could have people on Mars. But I think it's going to be twenty thirty before we see that. But you know, fingers crossed. Indeed, it it seems to be back on the agenda, which I suppose is the first step. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like space, and that was really really cool. So if you Google Soyuz capsule S O Y U Z, you'll see what I got to see. It's pretty cool. It's not that big, but it's really interesting. And Tim Peake was the British astronaut who was uh, descended back to Earth on that uh, hunk of Soviet metal. Mm, very good. Like I say, great way to spend a Friday evening. Absolutely. What about you? Uh, well, my Friday evening was was different. Um, <laughs> I was I was nursing Little Spice, our puppy, um, who for uh, all sorts of reasons uh, we took in to uh, to be neutered, to be spayed. So, um, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, the joys of pet ownership. You've got a little puppy who's looking at you in complete trust and you put it into the guy, take it to the vet and people start poking and prodding. Before she knows it, she wakes up feeling awful with a scar going, what the hell just happened? Uh, <laughs> and, pup. and wearing a big plastic collar around her head preventing her from doing <laughs> anything that she actually wants to do. <laughs> most of which is tear the stitches out of the incision on her abdomen. Oh dear. Um, is she moping around or is she, is she taking it okay? <laughs> um, well, the thing about uh, uh, dogs and, and puppies particularly is that as the anaesthetic wears off, which takes probably a day or two, um, once that's gone, they go, okay, all right, I'm good to go. Let's let's get it on. Action. <laughs> um, 
and and all of your efforts to don't jump up, don't stretch the scar, don't careful, shh, careful, shh, shh, shh. Oh, um, easy, she's, easy. Yeah, she's not interested in that. She's in full blown puppy mode again. So, um, uh, Margaret is living on her nerves. She get there's this sort of uh, plumber esque intake of breath every time Spike tries to jump. Well. <laughs> no, nope. easy. Um, Calm, calm. Exactly. So, so there's a sort of atmosphere of tension everywhere. It's exhausting. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we're getting our heads around it now. Poor old Spices. Um, she's in good form. Uh, and good. One, good. Once I finish this podcast, I shall go and wake her up and uh, take her out for the obligatory little pee pee uh, and put her back in a cage where she gets. Every time she wakes up, she forgets that she's wearing a big plastic collar. Um, so, so this, in the stuff. Yeah, there's this cacophony as she bangs her <laughs> her thing against everything in the house. Um, that know. or it's it's payback. She's just like, well, if I'm going to wear it, I'm going to make a lot of noise. Uh, no, no, you, you need to see the look on her face to realise that it's not payback. <laughs> she is completely flummoxed once again <laughs> until about two or three minutes in when she remembers. Uh, oh, bless. We so, pop. Yeah, there's been a fair amount of doggy duty going on, so I've been uh, uh, working upstairs. But uh, yeah, I've been, we, we were nearly talking about something else uh, this evening, and I've been doing a lot of reading around that and exploring around that and thinking about that. I won't dive into it now, but uh, social media, privacy, um, I I think it's come up a few times on, on the podcast. You know, I'm sort of wrestling with, being part of the problem and and being part of the victim. So mm. from a corporate point of view, we fire stuff out there. You know, hi, we're here. Come and buy a notebook. Um, and from a personal point of view, I'm going, oh, I wish people would stop firing things at me saying, we're here, I'll come and buy a notebook. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so been been wrestling with that. Um, I, got, I got the exercise bike set up, TJ. There we go. Oh, That's very it. good. Are you going to do some smoothies or, you know, par small lamp or something or is this just purely for calorie burning uh no i i think probably the tour de france next year um for mm. a reasonable goal uh no it's uh i've not been doing any exercise since the whole sort of nero thing kicked off uh and mm-hmm. it is showing on my waistline uh we have the we have the winter coat on um where winter coat is you know two inches of blubber that has now <laughs> appeared around my uh midriff uh, so yeah, that needs to go, uh, or else I'm gonna have to go shopping for clothes again, which would be terrible. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's been it's been a it's been a tough old week actually with one thing or another. But um, I I feel I feel we're we're getting better now. I think we're we're on Good. the up. The sun has got his hat on and all that sort of thing. <laughs> An upward trajectory. Let's let's go with that. That's good. Let's go with that. So that. I think in, in record time, only 35 minutes. That's fantastically fast. So first of all, uh, Meg, welcome to the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, we should do that every single week. Just welcome her in at the 35, 40 minute, 45 minute mark. Uh, yeah, we can, uh, surely you can put a little chapter in there or something, some sort of marker that she can go <laughs> yeah, to. Not, not for the listeners, just for my fiance. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> this is where she can start listening. Uh, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight, and this is a topic that you suggested, we are talking about stuff. And that's not a cop out of a title. We're actually talking about stuff. 
Yeah, this one came from, um, it was Brad, Brad Thornburg, mm-hmm. um, who mentioned it. I think it was in the Slack channel, probably, was it? Or was it on Twitter? Yep, it was. Oh, no, no, Slack. Um, yep, yeah, first thing is, Brad, every couple of days, I get a little notification saying, you're following me on Twitter. Does that mean you're unfollowing me every couple of days? <laughs> yeah, you vacillate between good content and bad content, and every day, every day you lose them, and I the next day you win them back. If, if I'm annoying you on a daily basis, Brad, do let me know. Um, I won't change anything, but it would just amuse me. Um, yeah, so uh, materialism, and I think yes. p- partly this is very much in the news and uh, sort of in the world at the moment because of that... Uh, um, that lovely lady whose TV show I haven't seen, but uh, Mary Kondo. Yeah, that's um, uh, it seems to be on every blog and and every social media platform. Everybody's talking about this uh, uh, this this approach to um, decluttering, which is mm-hmm. does it bring you joy? Um, and I, 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 perhaps I'm just in the mood for it, but I call me a cynic. <laughs> But you know, I'll, I'll I can be, tell already you have a very strong attitude about part of this. Well, there's an you know there's an enormous part of me that's going really. No, no, does it spark? No, it doesn't spark joy. It's a toilet brush. It <laughs> it cleans the toilet, Marie. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna mount a defense uh, for. Oh, for good Mrs. luck Condo. with that. Um, <laughs> I would argue that the. The focus of the book and and subsequently the TV show is not about looking at mundane utility items like toilet brushes because, yes, of course you need that. It's not about, you're not going to say, does toilet roll spark joy? Does water spark joy? Uh, Those are necessities. I would argue it's things that we keep that aren't necessarily within the remit of not making sure we don't die. So everything beyond essential life functions you know, do I need a black globe in my office? No, it is literally useless, but in, it looks really cool, and in, I want it. In fairness, I think I think I can survive without a toilet brush. But um, <laughs> no, I, I must be fair. I've not read the book, nor have I watched the TV show, so I'm in no position to make any comment at all. Which, okay, well, I've read the book and I watched one episode, so I guess I'm a more balanced approach we can we can probably fill in the gaps between us i say i mean i've never allowed not being qualified to comment on something to to prevent <laughs> you yeah, know never so stopped doing. this before so let's exactly. not, let's not start now <laughs> um no it, it is i suppose i'm very suspicious of anything that's uh so uh fashionable uh you know there's there's a, yeah that's a very good point there's a hint of fad about it um and oh no, it's full fad. the The actual show, I didn't really like the show. If I'm honest, okay. uh, it was very American. Well, she's extremely Japanese. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't speak English an awful lot in the show Japanese, which is unusual, especially for something on on Netflix. Uh, she has a translator with her all the time, and she is speaking primarily Japanese. She can speak English, but primarily Japanese, and the translator is sort of doing the the heavy lifting there. Okay, um, but the people are american and the type of people that want to be on reality shows are a very distinct breed of people sure and that makes them very good at being on reality shows but largely not very good at being people because otherwise they wouldn't be very interesting on reality shows sure so it's 
there's a lot of judgment. I find myself watching these shows and judging people, which is a guilty pleasure, but also not a very pleasant place to be if you're constantly narking. It's I like watching something that's a bit more fun or interesting and doesn't leave me so cynical because I, I, I went in thinking, oh, I like the book. It was pretty good. I don't believe all of this, but I'm interested to see. And I left it going, these people are idiots. Why? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm guessing that, you know, none of those outcomes uh, are a great surprise to the producers. Um, no. You know, choices are made about, oh, let's let's have her speaking Japanese. It's far more exotic, you know, all, all that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And as you say, normal people on reality TV does not make for good viewing, I'm told. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason they're on reality TV. There's a, a producer made a decision somewhere that they were kooky, weird, or strange enough to make you interested. Yeah. Largely by doing things you don't agree with or think are dumb. And, you know, try and elicit judgment from you because there's yeah. something compelling about that. But uh, going off topic. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, taking a taking aside the sort of cynicism I have about that show particularly and the, the catchphrase. The catchphrase is what winds me up. Um, does it spark joy? Um, no, it doesn't spark joy, but I need it to staple two bits of paper together, you dope. Um, <laughs> I think you should have your own Netflix show. Yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, um does it spark joy? It, it just winds me up because I, I did wander around the house uh, earlier on looking at the washing machine going, no, no, it does not spark joy in any way. Get rid of that. Um, get, a, get out of here, washing machine. Don't uh, need you. No joy it, in my life. It looks it looks a bit dodgy. I'll get TJ to come over and fix it with a hammer and a screwdriver. Um, <laughs> Percussive maintenance. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, uh, but I appreciate that's not the point. And th- I do find myself, again, I it's this this age thing, this midlife crisis that I'm going from that. Yeah. There, there is a feeling in me that I am much more cynical about uh, consumer goods than I used to be. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was very much a marketing man's dream because I had a, a reasonable disposable income and like gadgets. And when I get into uh, things, I, I tend to go quite deep. So uh, any left-handed golfer that comes to Cyprus is blessed because he's got a selection of four or five, <laughs> um, complete sets that he can play from, um, and you know that's that's all good for business. But is now, it good for you? Well, no. I mean, you know, the camera uh, example uh, that I gave earlier—that's that's the change that I'm going through. Where again, you know, this is a perfectly good camera. I don't know what I paid for it. I probably paid about four or five hundred pounds for it. Um, the camera has far more capability than I do. You know, it's not going to be the camera that's the limiting factor on the quality of the photographs. <laughs> um, and, you know, going in and spending another £1,500 on a camera is not going to change that. Uh, so, you know, can I make this work? Can I make this spark joy? Uh, and the question, and the answer to that question was yes. Okay, I've, I've done some little things around the edges and I'm uh, choosing to invest some time rather than some money uh, into into improving my mm-hmm. skill level. Um, and ultimately, you know, uh, going back to your original suggestion, you know, carry the thing around and use it um, and, and see if I do get loads and loads of joy. And if I'm taking 250 shots a day with a camera and I'm happy carrying it around 
wherever I go, whatever I do, then fine. If I want to go and invest some more money in one, it would seem to be a sensible thing to do because it's yeah, a part of my daily life. If I'm taking a few shots and then putting the camera away for a month, do you know what? I've, I've probably got all the gear I need. So, uh, yeah, I, I do buy into uh, the, the concept that we should look um, and it's coming back to another sort of buzzword, which is annoying me, but there you go. Uh, we should be more intentional ab- about these things, about what mm. we own and why we own them. Um, we should be more um, uh, pragmatic, prosaic, uh, something beginning with P. Pragmatic is probably the best word, I think. Yeah. I'm, I mean, when I was uh, kitting out the office here, you know, it it was... Okay, so okay, you know, should I get myself some some really cool desk or uh, you know something that will do this and something will do that and that would be great. And and actually, I thought, you know, I I want something functional, and I want something easy, and I want something that doesn't feel like a sort of you know massive investment of money. And so the, the there are more. This is touching back again on on obsolescence as well you know it an ikea desk is an ikea desk it does what it does and it you know mm-hmm. I, I think it will probably show its age quite quickly it's not a classic yeah. piece of furniture by any stretch of the imagination but it's perfectly adequate for for what i need and it, i you, i feel much less precious about it um and so seeing seeing these things more as tools i think is a is a really healthy mindset to get to where you look at um, the things that surround you as tools. So we we all have choices now with everything, whether it be uh, your computer or you know the technical gear that you're using or I'm using, um, any of the decorative things that we're using. Um, all of those things, you can get a myriad of choice. You can get a whole range of pricing. Um, I've been thinking about um, a desk lamp because I'm sitting here at the moment with a couple of little lamps around the room, um, which is great, but it's, it's quite dark. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got a very sort of utilitarian, um, it's a sort of bulkhead light because my office used to be a carport. So um, if I turn <laughs> if I turn that on, um, you know, it's very, very bright. So I'm looking for some sort of desk lamp that'll be a, be a happy medium. I got a suggestion for you. I thought you might. IKEA. Yeah. Tertial. Tertial. T-E-R-T-I-A-L. Okay. Uh, really, really standard uh, Pixar style uh, articulated lamp. I have two of them. That's what I use for all the lighting for my videos. Uh, there's one on either side of me right now. They've got smart bulbs in so they can change color and DRGB nonsense, but you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think they're about eight pounds. And they just clamp to the desk with a little thing that comes with it. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll certainly have a look. It's that sort of thing. I'm I'm quite intrigued by those Edison bulbs. Yeah, the good thing about Edison bulbs is that they're pretty. The bad thing about Edison bulbs is that they're bad bulbs. The the lumen value is really really low. Oh, is it? Um, yeah, it's re- they're really dim uh, because they are badly made. You know they're made with technology from 150 years ago or 120 years ago. Sure. Uh, so they're they're very nice, but they're not infinitely practical. So you need lots of them. I have one I can see from here. Uh, it's actually a, an LED Edison bulb. 
which is kind of a, a relatively new mm-hmm. subgenre. Slightly brighter, infinitely more energy efficient, uh, but the same kind of warm glow with the kind of filament look inside it. Sure, yeah. Um, they're nice. Yeah, they're good. Mine is in a, again, an Ikea lamp that looks like an oil lamp, but is a, a real sort of normal bulb. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole thing was maybe 12 or 13 pounds together. Yeah, yeah that's looks really something. nice on my desk, but yeah. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that, um, you know, in the past I would have been, um, I've got upstairs, I've got um, a serious reader. Um, if you if you Google that, you'll find it. It's, uh, um, it's one of those companies that makes out that it's uh, an eccentric English guy in a shed. Um, producing something that's uh, that's really really useful. Um, I suspect it's probably a bit more corporate than that, and there's a little bit of image in there. But it was a very very expensive light, and it does it does give off a very bright light. And um, it was just about the time that I became sort of short sighted. Uh, so I bought one of those. I've just looked them up, yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, it's great and everything, but it. You know, it doesn't serve much more purpose than, as you say, two eight-pound um, tertial uh, from Ikea mm-hmm. would do. So, I, th- I think from that point of view, that that sort of side of stuff and materialism, um, you know, my attitudes have shifted. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly, I'm not with uh, Marie just yet, but um, <laughs> I, I am less. Uh, interested now in, in spending lots and lots of money on the, those things. Um, my Apple kit is all, uh, all of it, TJ, at least 18 months old. That, I mean, <gasps> that, hasn't, ha- that hasn't happened in years. Uh, an entire generation I have missed out. So my, my um, laptop is not the latest. My phone isn't the latest. My watch isn't the latest. My iPad isn't the latest. And well, I don't know. They might bring something out this year that makes me go, hmm, okay. But uh, I'm not sure. I'm a folding sure. iPad. Two iPad Pros stuck together like a book. Well, indeed. I mean, I've I've got an iPad Pro and the new ones look really, really cool. I mean, they look like great sort of, you know, uh, tools. They don't actually do anything that my current one doesn't do. That's not what it's about. You're, you're not getting, no, you got to buy them because you want them, not because they're better or do anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, um, and <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think perhaps I'm some sort of bellwether for Apple because the one year that I went, mm, do you know what? I don't think I'll bother upgrading. Uh, they've stopped growing. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, it. <laughs> it's entirely me. Um, no, I, I, th- there's a generation of us who are going, yeah, yeah not sure, not sure. Mm. Because, you know... I mean, yeah, the Apple stuff falls exactly into the same wheelhouse as the consumerism. It's like, do you need a new MacBook? No. Are you going to buy one? 100% yes. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's not because you have a need or because it's addressing an issue or because it's solving a problem. It's because you saw an advert and you want the fancy new shiny thing. Yeah. And I I mean, it's true, um, you know, whatever brand you're following. You know, the HP people are getting the new NV and the new super duper light fast laptop road warrior um, machine. Um, you, see, <laughs> you see all, all the accountancy guys, you know, the guys working for KPMG and, you know, they're, they're all walk, walking around with the, the brand new shiniest thing. 
And it's exactly the same, whether it be Apple or anyone else. Um, and I think that's where you get into trouble, or that's where I feel I used to get into trouble and probably do less so now, but um, where you're buying something because some sort of perception of status or mm. or style. Mm. Um, obviously, fashion is a different thing. It's, it's all about style, but you, you know what I mean? It, if you're buying some sort of thing because it's the new shiny thing, then I think you have to be careful. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think you need to understand and be honest with yourself as to why you're buying it. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, right? What we're gonna say, what I'm gonna say now, is not news. It's not. No one's going to be shocked, right? Family, friends, life; those things matter. Stuff doesn't. Yeah, write it down. No one's ever ever said that before. Um, <laughs> That's not a revolutionary idea, but it's also not the whole truth to say that, you know, stuff doesn't matter and we should be, you know, these hermits who live these ascetic lives and never have anything because you don't need stuff to be happy. And, you know, I have a pair of slippers that are very nice and warm. I don't need them. I live in a house. It never goes below 15 degrees, but it's really cozy when I get up in the morning to put nice slippers on and go downstairs. Now, I don't need them, but... I enjoy them. And so there's always going to be materialism. There's always going to be stuff that is above and beyond what you require to not die as a human being. And that's okay. You know, you shouldn't feel guilty. You shouldn't feel bad for wanting and, and indeed having these things because that's okay. It's fine to have stuff. It's fine to enjoy stuff. You know, I enjoy pencils. I enjoy good notebooks. I enjoy cheap American beer. The You know, these things are just facts of life there's nothing wrong with having and enjoying them the problem is is when you define your personality or your life by your ownership of them because then you're trading bits of yourself for other things and it's just not healthy yeah for sure i mean i think i think that's true and i think also it's um it's changing i think there is i think there's always been an element of uh, materialism, consumerism is bad, you know, from um, Thoreau onwards. There's been this yeah. sort of, okay, Even longer. yeah, let's, you know, let's go back to uh, basics. Let's go back to simplicity. Let's simplify everything. And uh, the last few years or the last maybe decade, there's been a growing, I think, mainstream sort of a, adoption of that so if you look at uh you know people like leo babuta i want to say or was it babuata i'm not sure um whose minimalism website you know really took off um and meditation for example you know the growth in that business the meditation is huge yeah headspace and calm uh the two sort of big selling apps for meditation uh they are companies that are valued in the billions you know it's um it's a big big business now it's not something that's fringy or on the edge more and more people are looking for that sort of peace uh, i want to say minimalism but i don't mean that i mean sort of intentionalism or essentialism that's the greg McKeown book mm. where um it is all about trying to work out where value lies and it, as you say it's not rocket science um <laughs> if you can buy it in a shop then it doesn't actually matter 
That's pretty much a decent rule to go by. Um, yeah. But at the same time, people still still see those things or, or you know, are genuinely attached to those things. And as you say, there's nothing wrong with that. If you, if you, um, I always wanted to have a sports car. I always wanted to have a sports car. So when I got to a position where I could have one, I got one. Now, after a couple That's of cool. after a couple of years, I went, yeah, do you know what? Um, I'm going to buy a bicycle. But, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was a useful um, motivation. It was something that, you know, oh, I want to be in a position to do that. Oh, look, I'm in a position to do that. I've done it. Okay, great. I've done that now. And I know that, you know, some other people then want to have a bigger sports car, a faster sports car. And you know, again, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what, you know, floats your boat, ticks your box, great. For me, I had one. It was good. It was fine. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed owning it. I felt really proud when I bought it. I felt really good when I drove it. And I felt really good when I got rid of it. You know that 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 was it for me. Um, and like I, I think s- that's a really key component. Yeah, the, the being okay with getting rid of stuff as well. That's the thing that most people fall down on. You know, they feel great when they buy it. They feel great when they think about buying it, and then they get it, and it starts petering off. And then it's just this thing in their life that doesn't spark joy. It doesn't make them happy. It doesn't give them any kind of reason to keep wanting it. And so the logical solution is to go, okay, great, that was fun. I enjoyed it. I'm done with it, so let's get rid of it. But most people just go, well, I, I bought it, and it's mine, and I spent all this time getting it. So if I don't keep it forever, or if I don't continue to get joy from it, then it is not worth the effort that went into it or the money that went into it. And so they kind of hold on to these things that aren't relevant, aren't enjoyable, aren't worthwhile to them. And so you're surrounded by stuff and wonder why you're not happy. Because the stuff you thought you wanted, you don't. And the things you thought you needed, you don't. And what's making you happy is not the stuff that surrounds you, but the stuff you're missing by being sat in a room surrounded by stuff you don't like. Sure. Um, and I, I think the dangerous things, there's two dangers to the um, uh, the Marie Kondo thing, which is one it's very easy, or I find it very easy to get into a sort of burn it uh, mindset <laughs> where <laughs> yeah I did this um, you know I don't wander around uh, asking things if they spark joy um, as we've probably established reasonably beyond doubt now but I, I look at stuff and go yeah that was then don't really need it goes 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 and you get into or I do I get into this sort of ruthless mode um, <laughs> and and throw away sort of my past and I think it's very easy to get carried away with yourself and and throw things away because you haven't thought about item A for a period of time and in that sort of mode of I'm getting I'm getting rid of stuff I'm I'm getting I'm getting lighter I'm getting more focused I'm getting rid of I'm getting rid of I'm getting rid of you can get rid of stuff that you need or that you should keep um and that might just be me that might just be sort of extremism that's inherent in me but I think you have to be careful that you don't get carried away with that. Um, and also, I think you have to look at value. Um, and I I know Margaret will often say to me, but we paid X pounds for that. 
Now, from my point of view, and I will often argue this back, and this is one of those, uh, you'll get these, TJ, they're, they're married arguments that get repeated <laughs> on a regular basis for the entirety of your of your marriage. But I will turn around and say, look, the money was wasted when we bought it. <laughs> what we do with it now doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I yeah. Keeping it around for Sounds 20 fun. years is not going to make it any more or less valuable. <laughs> the money's gone. It's finished. It's you know. Yeah. Um and so that sort of thing I think is is where I find it quite easy to look at something and go, yeah. I don't think that's got a place in my life anymore. Whether it costs, you know, 1 pound or 100 pounds will not influence my decision. And I think it's very easy to say, "Oh, but I paid X for that." Okay, fine if you can realize some money by by uh, recycling it or upcycling it somewhere fantastic but um you know the money was spent when you spent it the the argument that you used of oh well, i'll keep this for 20 years so it's only a pound a year so it's fine <laughs> that was a justification <laughs> argument <laughs> that's not really how value works yeah we live in a cash flow world once cash has flowed it's gone um and uh, yeah, it just strikes me how how many times I use both sides of that argument whenever it suits me. <laughs> We're really, really good at getting what we want and convincing ourselves that we needed it all along. I think it's human nature. Um, sure. And stuff is is one of those avenues for for making yourself feel better or ticking that box or achieving a goal. You know, when I make enough to buy this car, I'll have been successful. When I, you know, buy that house, when I have the newest phone, and it will do this. And I mean, I haven't had a massive amount of this experience, but I have. You know, I've bought a house, I've bought you know nice things, I've traveled, I've done these things. And they don't they seem like bigger milestones when you're leaning up to them. Mm-hmm. And then there's also almost a sense of deflation afterwards because you're like, oh, cool. So what am I doing next? And yep. instead of you know enjoying them in the moment, it's like, okay, it's done. It's over. What next? And I think it's the same for a lot of stuff. Like if you want the new iPhone uh, excessive XS five twelve, whatever it is, and you want that really, really badly, and I wanted the iPhone five. That's the first iPhone I ever got. I really, really wanted it. And when I got it, it was like, this is really cool. What apps can I get? And it was immediately on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Because once the box had been ticked, once the stuff had been acquired then it no longer drove me. It no longer encouraged me. It was, I enjoyed it. It's a good phone while it wasn't terrible. Um, but largely the impetus and the drive that it gave me evaporated as soon as I got it. Sure. I mean, it's, uh, that's the experience that I'm trying to, to sort of undo now. And it, I'm going back mm. again to the camera where I, I looked at it and I thought, okay, this thing, which I undoubtedly bought because I thought, okay, I need a proper camera. I want to take proper photographs. <laughs> um, yeah. And okay, this looks like it's the the business. And I, I think I probably went into a camera shop and I, I held a few and played with a few and went, yep, this is the thing. Nikon, that's the name I like. Yep. Okay, great. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I was questioning myself just, you know, last week going, okay, so, you know, what, what is it that, a new camera is going to bring me that this doesn't. Um, and I took the time to sort of dig out the manual and work out, okay, so what's that button? Where does that button go? Oh, you could do that. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, ah. And I thought, ah, hang on, you know, 
can I recapture that feeling of I want a proper camera to take proper photos? Can I recapture that with this piece of kit? It's almost like saying, you know, if I clean it all and put a new thing on here and a new thing on, <laughs> is it a new piece of kit? And do you know what? It probably is. And the feeling is probably the same. So I'm now shooting yeah. with this camera on on manual, on the various and sundry manual. It's, it's, it's never that simple. It's not manual, but different modes that involve me having to make decisions and think rather than the point and shoot mode. And so suddenly it feels like a new experience. And that I think is where, where things have changed for me. And I'm certain that this is a factor of age is where I, I look at things differently now and go, okay, so what is it about this that's sparking joy? Or what is it about this that I really wanted? Um, and learning to enjoy those things. Because you're right, you get onto a treadmill mm. of acquisition and of status and of success. Because, you know, one way or another, we, we set ourselves measures. And that might be money, it might be money in the bank, it might be lifestyle, it might be car, it might be a whole combination of all those things. Um, rarely do we say, you know, I, I, I want to be very, very happy. Or if we do, we go, I want to be very, very happy. And that will mean that I'm driving one of these and I'm living here and I'm doing that. And, and it, it comes back to those. because Immediately goes back to the consumerism. Yeah, because some really, really smart people are spending a lot of money trying to convince us that we need to make a lot of money and, and spend it with them. But, I mean, that's, that's market economics. <laughs> and so it's not, it's not unreasonable that we would think that. But actually, as you say, when you do um, look at it and when something happens that uh, you know, whether it be uh, a bereavement or, you know, a bereavement of somebody that you know, um, makes you just think a little bit about mortality and think about life. Um, again, it's one of the sort of perennial sort of Lenin household arguments. Um, you know, I will, I, <laughs> I will be looking, Margaret, and say, nobody has written on their tombstone, I wish I'd cleaned the house more. Just <laughs> put the mop down. Let's go somewhere. Let's go do something. Um, and, you know, she, uh, in, in fairness, in the interests of impartiality, she can turn around to me and say, nobody has written on their tombstone. I wish I'd worked more. Put the computer down mm. and, you know, let's go and do something else. And those types of... Um, thoughts we all know them as you said you you know it i know it everybody listening to this podcast knows it the trick is finding a way to implement it to actually make it something that does drive you and that's what the book that we're reading you know the company one is about that's what uh essentialism by greg, greg McKeown's about it's what cal newport's writing about digital minimalism is about it's all about trying to get to that science of of, of happiness, of defining it, of contentment, of satisfaction, and trying to shift the way that we perceive it. Because it does need to be shifted. Even those enlightened folk listening to this podcast, deep down, we all still measure ourselves by some measures that really don't matter. And I think that that's what this 
century is going to be all about. It's about trying to move on from that sort of post-industrial revolution technology age where, as you say, we made these huge leaps forward and then stopped because uh, they weren't making money. The reason we stopped going to space was because the return on investment was so far into the future that our model of capitalism can't cope with it. Lots, yeah, lots of absolutely. lots of people say, you know, I, w- I want to build something great for my grandchildren. No, they don't. They want to build something great for the prestige that it brings them, the rewards that it brings them. The fact they can pass it on to their children and grandchildren is great. But you're not seeing people investing money that's going to return for, the, for their grandchildren. They're not. And that's exactly why people went, hey, we're going to Mars. Okay, great. But what's in it for me? <laughs> yeah. And and moving that on, and okay, I think Mars will become uh, you know an essential because we're going to run out of space and all that stuff. But I think that that's the the challenge that these guys that are writing at the moment and writing these books that that I think are getting traction is about saying how does happiness work? How does it really work? And how do we implement it in our lives? How do we shift our measures? And how do we get everybody else to shift our measures? How do we get our bosses to turn around and go? Do you know what? I think you're a little bit unhappy. You need to work less. Or, you know, let's not make so much of a fuss about um, where we live and how we live and um, what, what money we have. And that then touches on the Silicon Valley sort of idea of let's all have a universal income. You know, Zuckerberg will happily pay us all a thousand pounds a a month to stay at home uh, so that he can fire more messages at us and make more money for himself. But, you know, I, I don't say that in, in a sort of, well, it is a slightly cynical way, but, you know, I think I think there is a genuine, <laughs> there's a genuine desire in Silicon Valley to go, well, look, you know, if everybody gets automated out of work and everybody's getting paid a decent wage, what's, what's the problem? Uh, you know, I've, I, <laughs> Those are people who are entirely living in that this is the measure. It's the, you know, the comfort level of, of finance rather than the satisfaction of doing a good job. You, you try and explain to these guys that coal miners were happy. And, and I think you're speaking a different language to them. They go, oh, what, do you, <laughs> what do you mean they were happy? They were happy. But they were going down to a dark hole with a pickaxe. Yep. <laughs> but you know, they, they 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 took something from that sort of I don't know the camaraderie, from uh, from doing an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. I was doing air quotes there. Don't really work on radio, but you know, <laughs> I think that's the the direction that that this this particular time is going is trying to redefine that, trying to understand how we can make that shift away from measuring ourselves and everyone else by the things that we all know don't matter yeah because that's the thing it's a big it's a big joke mm-hmm. everybody knows it's nonsense yep. and yet everybody acts like it isn't yeah and you know I, I say all these books will say to you you know working a 70 hour week is stupid and yet you go to I don't know JP Morgan Morgan Stanley all the big Wall Street guys 
you go to Facebook, you go to Google, there are still people burning the midnight oil there who are working really hard to get the next app out or the next development out or the, you know, the next deal done. And, you know, they're killing themselves. The the gig economy, This again, this is touching on the book that we're reading, but the gig economy. There's a, a sort of understanding that while you're working for yourself or I'm working for myself, you know, we will work from, you know, the, the moment we wake up until the moment we go to sleep. There's a, you know, well, yeah. oh yeah, well, he's he's an entrepreneur. So of course he's working on a Saturday. Of course he'll, he'll respond to an email on a Sunday. And, you know, I'm, I'm, as, I'm, I'm part of that whole treadmill thing. And it is very difficult to turn around and, you know, say, yeah, okay. Yeah, if if a, a customer at Nero's Notes has a problem on, on a Sunday, it's all right, I'll get to it on Monday. I, I can't bring myself to feel that way. But I probably should. Because invariably the customer at the other end is going, Phew, what are you emailing me on Sunday for? It's okay. Well, you can do it on Monday. It's cool. You know, I, I'm not stressed. <laughs> but I'm stressed. And and that's the, those unrealistic expectations. And those are the things that we all have to try and shift. And, uh, well, you, you have to look at the, the Scandinavians. Because those are the guys that are working less and less hours. Um, and who are, you know... Not universally, but in many cases, have very strong defining lines between I'm not working now, you know, I'm working and I'm not working. Uh, and yet they, well, not and yet, perhaps as a consequence, they rate as the happiest people around, you know, the Finns, um, Icelandic, Danes, Swedes are dropping down the charts, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> <coughs> but it was it was literally, I think, last week that they came out with the the happiness index, um, how they work that out, of course, complete mystery to me, but. I was just looking at your quote there. You're living in America, leave your conscience at the tone. And when you're living in America at the end of the millennium, you're what you own. Mm-hmm. And that's from Rent. From the musical Rent. Ah, yeah. Okay. So this was written uh, during the AIDS crisis way back when. So it's not new. This idea, this this feeling that we have is not a novel one. Um, and it's the the American dream, the materialism. It's been as old as, as marketing. It's as old as, as shops. It's as old as commerce. Uh, the idea that you can be better by having more is, is not a new one. But it's, I think you're right. I think this is maybe the century that we start trying to renegotiate that relationship we have with it because a lot of people are not happy. A lot of people are not content and they don't know why. So they just keep buying books and (laughs) things to try and placate themselves. And then they realize that it makes it worse. And so that idea that you can not worry about it and and get along with less and, and just focus on the things that actually make you feel good actually improve your life actually make you happy and double down on those and everything else you know good phone yeah cool i can afford that that's that's fine it doesn't make me happy but it's useful and i like it you know those are different things being able to separate those i think is going to be a really important thing for human beings as we develop and move to mars absolutely i mean you won't be able to take all those washing machines to mars well so you just get martian ones 
Yeah, but I mean, how's a hammer going to behave in that sort of gravity field? Uh, well, yeah, it's true. It's one sixth, isn't it? So mm. get a bigger hammer. Good knowledge. You just casually went, it's one sixth, isn't it? I, I like it. I was bluffing. <laughs> I've got the impression that you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Mars has a sixth of the atmosphere, or the gravity. Let me quickly check with my friend say, Google. I say, in fairness, you you do the edit. So if it doesn't, yep, nobody will ever know. <laughs> uh, the surface gravity on Mars is only about 38% of the surface gravity on Earth. 38%? Mm-hmm. Okay, so a sixth is way off. Yeah, well, <laughs> did I not say a fifth? Sorry? Did I not say a fifth? Uh, I think you said a sixth, but even if you said a fifth, you're still way off. Well, you know what? I had a had a number, and I, I I'll edit all this out. So I know thirty eight percent, thirty eight percent. I think is for Mars. Oh, okay, and you're hoping that, that I'll let that stay there without sort of countering it. <laughs> you can edit it. In. I I know your trickery. <laughs> That's great. But no, even so, no, I yeah. Look, I mean, I'm I'm trying to bring myself back. The I'm not sure that we're in. Uh, a sort of golden age or, or or a terrible age of consumerism of stuff. Um, I think there is an awareness, and I think there's always been an awareness that um, acquisition for acquisition's sake or acquisition for status sake is ultimately not satisfying to the human being. I think that's not new. I think it's been known. Um, what's not happened is actually creating a way that we can start measuring success for ourselves and for others uh, in a different way. And I think Thoreau was trying that when he wrote um, uh, Walden. I think he was trying to mm-hmm. sort of suggest that that you know life was as rewarding, if not more so, without all of the trappings of life. Uh, or modern life, um, but he, even though I think his book is is pretty well written, um, his arguments were not compelling enough to make anybody go. Hey, do you know what? I think he's right. Um, but I think there is a lot more happening now, and a lot more focus on. Okay, everything is available to us. How do we choose the right things for us, and how do we use them in the right way for us, so that they don't become a negative you know social media should be a force for good and yet many would see it as a force for bad so it's clearly not being worked properly and how do we change that and there's all sorts of arguments and suggestions going on as to why that might be but i think what's important is the debate the fact that it's happening means that we do now have to start saying okay how do we measure this what's important to me what's important or what should be important to all of us rather than um, the new iPhone or or the new PC or the, the best car or, you know, those those things that everybody acknowledges are a little bit sort of vain and venal. There we go, vain and venal. I think that sums it up quite nicely. Well, indeed, many have said it of me. Many have said it of me. So uh, it only remains for me to say I have been Stu Lennon. And I've been TJ Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future. This was 1857.